Hello and welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, Michigan basketball, recruiting, uh, even hockey's coming in now. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. On the phone lines today will be Steve Lorenz and Isaiah Hull. Uh, it's been about a month since I think we were all together podcasting, so a couple things have happened since then. Um, you know, obviously, most of it, not it's, it's such old news, it's not worth talking about, but this week... Isaiah and I were down in Tampa for the Outback Bowl, where Michigan blew a 16-point late third-quarter lead, lost 26-19. I'm going to go ahead and assume most of the people listening to this watched it. But uh, a couple days later, here at the end of the week on Friday, I'm very curious, uh, both you know, with, with you guys and I have some thoughts myself, uh, we'll do a, at least two laps around. If we have more to discuss, we will. But the the lasting takeaways from that game, uh, obviously the message board has been ablaze and uh, the entire fan base uh, seems to be either melting or on fire, whatever metaphor you want to use. Uh, but Isaiah, we'll start with you. What is what is one thing that still stands out to you from Michigan's loss on Monday uh, that's still sitting in your head a few days later? They just got to get better in the trenches on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, that's something we've been talking about uh, the entire season, and it continues to hamper them. Uh, I, I know that uh, one of you, I'd imagine, is going to bring up the quarterback, and I'll let you go ahead and do that. Uh, but that, to me, is where it all starts. Uh, obviously, you need to be able to protect for the quarterback to be able to do well. I run it, the, the run game was pretty abysmal in this game. I believe they averaged just under three yards to carry overall as a, as a unit. Uh, it was around 2.9, if my memory serves correctly. Yep. You're just not going to be able to win games that way, uh, no matter who the opponent. And defensively, you know, they, they did enough, in my opinion. Uh, obviously, giving up 26 points isn't ideal, but they were put in a couple short field situations due to turnovers on the offensive side of the ball. Some of those miscues and everything like that obviously contributed to it, to it. But at the same time, it really, to me, just was that was the key was not being able to hold their own up front. And I know they had three players that were starting in this game, or not necessarily starting, but playing significant minutes in this game on the offensive line that would not have been considered offensive line starters in the first couple weeks of the season, but. They have to figure something out there because, to me, that's the big, the big uh, place that they need to start to achieve if they really want to get to that next step. Yeah, I think uh, uh, I'll let I'll let Steve throw in his his first one. Uh, what do you got, Steve? So I know this is kind of outside of the box, but special teams is something that I really think a lot about, and I, I think it was something that for a, a young inexperienced offense and a defense that was consistently overworked, particularly in the second half. I think it was something that would really, that really, really hurt Michigan. Uh, I talked before and longer, I think than anybody else about how valuable Jabril Peppers was on special teams, as far as not just his ability to maybe, you know, to break a long return or to, you know, get a lot of yards on the return, but just simply, you know, I don't know how many times he would field a punt that may have been out of a regular athlete's zone that would have potentially saved them 10 or 15 yards of field position. Yeah. Uh, I think those numbers add up after, after a long time and they really add up within each game, especially when you're playing close game. 
you know, I feel like Michigan State was a game where Michigan, I think, consistently lost the field position battle. I mean, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong there, but I feel like they that was one game in particular where field position did not seem to be in their favor. At couple that in yes. with the ineptitude offensively, and you know, just forced, uh, you know, made it very difficult for them to. I mean, how many drives do they have to potentially take the lead in that game? Like seven, <laughs> eight. I mean, it was just you know, so. Um, that I mean, I think a continuation of those issues really stood out. I mean, obviously that's added on to what Isaiah already said, and I'm sure Zach, what you're going to add on. I mean, the the obvious stuff we've kind of talked about throughout the year, um, but I, I think special teams again, especially particularly in punt and punt coverage, uh, that goes the other way too. Like Brad Robbins, awful game against South Carolina, just no way around it. Um, you know, I think those are issues that really, really plague. You look at the top teams in the country. I know, I mean, not to Ohio State, but I mean, Ohio State always has great, one of the better punters in the country. Yeah, they just and, cycle them in. Yeah. It's incredible. You know, well, Mich- and until this year, I mean, Michigan was solid. Uh, Kenny Allen obviously did a great job. And again, that's somebody I thought Michigan was really going to miss this year, and they ended up missing him big time. So, um, so yeah. So, I don't know, special teams, I, I think that really is something else that stands out big time. Well, yeah, and I mean, you look at who scored in the Outback Bowl, most of those drives, even Michigan's offensive drives, a lot of them were off of special teams' mistakes. And Michigan actually weirdly did okay in field position this year. I think they were ninth in net field position, but last year they were first, and it was like by a huge margin. And as you said, I mean, if you're 10 yards closer to the end zone, that's one less chance to mess up between where you are and where you want to be uh i guess what stood out to me and i'll we'll we'll just keep going around and around until we get them all out but um you know i think michigan's offense isn't a quarterback away you know it's not like a quarterback's gonna come in and fix everything but uh i'll be the one to kind of bring up brandon peters because he had uh about a month between when he was back to practicing in full and in the game and uh didn't really look like he he made the the necessary strides and I think a lot of that has to do with the receivers but I mean even in this game 20 of 44 he had three drop or his receivers dropped three passes so 20 of 41 uh had three throwaways so 20 of of 38 but still I mean on deep balls he was four for uh three for 13 under pressure four for 12 uh against the blitz five for 14 and you just you look at pretty much every good team, you know, they might not necessarily have Baker Mayfield at quarterback, but they all have guys who can make can be that net positive offensively. If if your line is struggling, you know, they'll make the throw quicker. Or if your receivers are not making the catch, you know, you'll find them open somewhere else. Now that's a whole different issue, but uh you know, I think I think you know we we built it up. Isaiah and I both had a lot of stories. Like this is kind of an audition for him. He's ready. The team's behind him, and he did not uh, did not end up looking like someone that's that's gonna be. Because this is the thing: is Michigan will be a good football team every year, but as far as you know, being a Big Ten contending national championship contending team. Uh, he didn't look like the quarterback that was up for the task, but obviously uh, had did not get a lot of help around him. Isaiah, what else is sticking out to you? Uh, I'm going to go with something that's kind of more of a blanket. Uh, the youth 
being youth. Uh, obviously, doesn't hurt nearly as much on the defensive side of the ball. But you're still seeing, you are still seeing some issues there every now and again uh, with, uh, with the players being somewhat younger. Uh, I look kind of more at the safety position. Uh, but on the offense is where it really has obviously been painfully obvious that they're just young. And it's something we've talked about, obviously, all season long. And, you know, this game, especially when Michigan found themselves in the position late in the game, they, they just needed to, they needed to be able to drive the ball. They're down by a touchdown. They've got just under two minutes to be able to try to get that touchdown. And, and it seems like for, you know, for the first time all game, Peters was putting it kind of where, where he needed it to go. And people's Jones drops the ball. Nico Collins drops the ball. And, you know, they, they just, they just aren't in sync. And a lot of that isn't necessarily, their fault, per se, is just a matter of young players needing to, to get more experience because you can't teach experience. And, you know, I, it's one of those things I was talking to a good friend of mine about this past week, and it, wasn't, it was never like this in the past where it was you, – you weren't, you weren't just sitting there saying, like, well, Michigan's going to be bringing in a whole bunch of sophomores and, and, you know, this year they're all really talented. Hopefully they can perform. It was always a wave of players. Yeah, just you year in, year out. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You look, you look back to, you, you, to, like, 2005 or whatever, you'd be like, oh, I'm, that Mario Manningham looks really good. You know, yeah. hopefully, hopefully in 2000, you know, 2006, he'll be, he'll be really good. And I mean, every now and again, a guy would come in like Mike Hart and, and play, play amazingly. But it usually was, you'd get, you'd get a little bit of a year where you get to kind of see what a guy could do. And then you would, you know, a year or two down the road is when you'd finally see them actually being productive. I mean, even more recently, you saw that with Amara Darbo and Jay Hugh Cheston. They didn't turn into what they yeah, were until like their, what, their second to last year. Fourth year, yeah. 2015 was their fourth season with Michigan, and that was like the first mm-hmm. time people knew their names. I mean, obviously exactly. the diehards did, but yeah, yeah. I so yeah. They they need to be able to to get these guys up to speed a little bit faster somehow, uh, because you know you're relying on Donovan Peoples Jones, you're relying on you know eventually Tariq Black, but. Nico Collins, all these younger, especially, you know, guys at the skill positions. I mean, even Chris Evans is like he's a second year guy. You know, it, it wasn't like he's like he's in his, you know, third, fourth, fifth year. So it, it's going to, it's, it's a process. And somehow they need to find a way to accelerate the process if they want to be able to have some kind of success in 2018. It is so weird to me, the, the double class cycle fluctuations that Michigan has. So it's like, it must've started with Rich Rod um, because what his 2008 and 2009 classes, or let me, let me see if I can get this right. 2008, 2009, were really big recruiting classes, but really bad seasons on the f- field. Uh, I lost track of it. But, but you know, the 2014-2015 classes, super small. It didn't help them that they didn't necessarily have a lot of hits in that class. And, Steve, you could probably talk to this more than I could. But And then you saw in 2010-2011, those were small classes too. And sure enough, in 2013-2014, when those guys were supposed to be the upperclassmen leaders... Uh, those teams were not very good. Meanwhile, when the big classes 
come around. 2015, 2016 were coming off big recruiting classes. And then 2011 and 2012, off of 2007 and 2008, there, now I got the years right. Um, those were seasons where they were, you know, contending for Big Ten titles and winning double-digit games. But uh, I, I agree, and I thought Mo Hurst said it really well when, you know, he was mentioning that this this team kind of reminded him of the 2014 team, where it's just like a lot of, it's a dumb cliche, but like lack of execution. You know, there were screenplays where Donovan Peoples-Jones, or not not a screen, an end around, where he needed like four blocks to happen and none of them happened. And that's, you know, I don't know if that's youth. I don't know if that's uh, players just not being applied enough. I, w- I certainly wouldn't think that would be the case based on what we've heard, but uh, you know, there were just plays that needed to happen, and they didn't happen. And you know, maybe that gets better. I'll talk later on in the show about how the 2016 class uh, went from not doing much last season to being, you know, having 12, 13 starters and a lot of plus players this year. So there, so there's you know stuff on the horizon. But yeah, it's it's just there's you know you watched you watched the Outback Bowl. And then while I was writing, I was watching the Rose Bowl, and it was just like there's just a huge step. Um, but anyway, Steve, uh, what else? What else is sticking out from the Outback Bowl uh, a few days later? Um, I mean, I think the safeties do have to get better in one-on-one coverage. I, I'm a little. <clears throat> I mean, we keep here. We kept hearing a lot of really great things about Ambry Thomas, and uh, I'm a little surprised. Maybe that we didn't see him a little bit more when South Carolina would spread out. I mean, think about it. I mean, it became pretty clear that teams were starting to spread Michigan out a little bit more and then target whoever the safety was covering. Yeah. I mean, that definitely happened against Penn State. Penn State was, probably did a better job than anybody of, of exploiting that. But even Wisconsin, though, when Alex Hornerbrook somehow dis- figured out how to throw the football uh, – you know, he made some great throws, but those were all like one-on-one safety coverage. Um, I, it's it's really hard to criticize Don Brown at all because of the job he's done. Um, I just I do think there have been some scenarios in which I think they're outmanned um, as yeah in those types of situations because it's I mean it's really hard to ask Tyree Kinnell to go one-on-one with. Uh, I don't even know who the guy was that beat him, but uh, you know, to go to ask your safeties to go one on one with a wide receiver in consistent basis. I mean, it's yeah, it's, uh, Brian Edwards, Shai Smith, yeah, yeah, like that's not a very easy assignment when you're not when the you know you not have a safety on him, you're not going to get any help over the top. And so, um, I, I think again, though, I do think that that'll be something that will not be as much of an issue next year because these cornerbacks that are in the system, you know, they'll be able to put, there's no, there be, should be no reason they can't put Ambry Thomas out there next year in those situations. Hmm, um, or Jalen Kelly Powell, even who I know struggled a little bit, but that was his first experience. I mean, he basically didn't play. He played on special teams, but didn't play defensively at all until they just threw him out on an Island against a receiver, you know, um, one-on-one, I think, I think he was one of the guys that got victimized against Wisconsin. So, mm-hmm. um, so I, I mean, that's, I think, you know, I don't, again, I know Don Brown, like is, he's very, 
I don't know, stubborn might be the wrong word, but he's very open about, you know, he's going to play defense the way he wants to play defense. Uh, and it does, it stinks when, like I said, a guy like Hornerbrook, who's so mistake prone, like all of a sudden just was able to dig deep and make like two or three of the best passes he ended up making all year um, against <laughs> Michigan, let yeah. alone on third, let alone on third and long. Um, but I just, I think that, yeah, I mean, I, that's one of the criticisms I think that are a little, I think it's kind of valid. I mean, it's just, it's very difficult to ask those safeties to go one-on-one with some of these guys. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, yeah, I, I think all the teams that beat Michigan picked on the linebackers, picked on the safeties in passing situations. And, um, I wonder, I guess we'll see someone, someone's got to coach the safeties that didn't coach them this season because Brian Smith is gone. And um, I think, I think that's one of those positions though, where I'm not quite as worried because I think, I mean, they bring back everybody and they have promising, highly touted recruits coming. Like, I just feel like, feel like it, this, the position group, there's no way it plateaus. Like it's only going to get better. Like the it's, it's an ascending group. Um, let's, let's shift gears to what are what are the steps? Because I mentioned uh, just a moment ago, and I don't know where you guys fall on this, but you know when I saw Georgia and Oklahoma and Clemson and Alabama, and there's talk and Michigan wants to contend for a title in 2018, but man, the difference between how Michigan looked in the Outback Bowl, not just in like when they were turning the ball over five times, just all together. Uh, you know, I think I think a Georgia would have really blown Michigan out of the water. And I know the big 10 did well in, in bowl season, but it just, it felt like there was a lot of gaps for a team that, you know, it's probably going to be a preseason top 10 team again next year. So I'm curious, uh, I don't know which one of you has the cop driving by, but I'll turn you guys back on in a second. I'm curious, what, what are the steps that stand out to you? Uh, may, let's you know hand out two or three, and we can have overlap if you want. Let's do three each, um, and there can be some overlap. But the the biggest steps between where Michigan is now and where they want to be uh, come next fall, uh, we can start with Isaiah. Well, same thing that I kind of already said. Uh, I mean they they've got it in order for this offense to work. The way that Jim Harbaugh wants it to work, it is predicated entirely on having a dominant offensive line and one that can can obviously open up holes in the run game, which they were able to do a bit late in the season, not so much in the Outback Bowl, but you know they managed to be able to eke out you know between four and six yards of carry it seemed to the last uh, several games, with the exception of uh, Wisconsin, uh, but to be able to pass protect, to be able to really dominate up front, that's gonna that's super key especially just it being a pro style offense and to that note you know i think probably simplifying things up front meaning going with one scheme and sticking with it you heard all uh you know once michigan started going a little bit more towards yeah the power uh, run uh, yeah that they that they were that that's what the outlinemen like to do and that's where they were able to succeed and then in kind of <laughs> Inexplicably, they kind of started going back to a little bit more zone and things of that nature. Like after they kind of seemed to be able to show that they were a power run team and that they had success there, they—I I don't really understand that. But I think you know, 
having identity and going with it, running with it literally for the entire season, I think is going to be key. And it starts up front. That's, that's, that was where Michigan struggled. I would say, if not the most, the second most at worst uh, all season long. And if they can put together an offensive line, this team looks completely different, at least on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. Steve, what do you think? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it's kind of, we already expounded upon, like the, I think the improvement at wide receiver will be significant. Um, yeah. We, how many, there was that table on MGO blog about like first year wide receivers. Look at Michigan historically too, as kind of indicative of just like any other program too, where receivers take a little bit longer uh, to get used to the college game than others. Most, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Most. It's but like yeah, all these. It's about... all these teams like A and M and Alabama. It's oh, like they'll have one receiver who does really well. But you're right. Usually they they don't have five underclassmen receivers. They're trying to teach how to do everything. Right, and like you look at, uh, like you know, like you look at this year, like some of the guys who had like really really big stats, like C D Lamb, who is a hell of a football player. Don't get me wrong, but Oklahoma throws the ball. 45, 50 times a game too, right? So, um, and I remember them mentioning during the telecast that, you know, Lamb had a big season, but he disappeared for like a huge chunk of the year, you know, which I assume was more development. Or even Cody White at Michigan State. You know, you think of Michigan State as like running the ball, but what was it like, didn't Lewerke set some kind of Big Ten record for most pass attempts in a three-game span or something like that? You know, there there were times where they were throwing the ball like the same amount, uh, you know, like 40, 50 times a game, actually. So uh, a lot of it's just usage. You know, I, I I think, yeah, I mean, where are we at? How do we feel about the receivers this year if Tariq Black stays healthy? I mean, he yeah. he looked like that's the most he looked like the most polished receiver on the roster in, against Florida, um, no doubt about that. And so, you know, I it's just, you know, they've had a couple – Poop injuries at some bad spots that they didn't need it at, too, I think really uh, maybe hindered them a little bit. But, I mean, and obviously you have three, in my opinion, legit quarterbacks to go into battle with next year. I, I think the quarterback position will be basically the opposite of what it was this year, next year. Um, hmm. Again, this we felt on, pretty good about Spate coming in. I Well, yeah, that's probably – actually, that's probably really unfair to Wilton. Um because I kind of actually was going to post this. I think he's, if he stays healthy, I, it's hard not to think that they would have not beaten at least Michigan state. I think they would have beaten um, Michigan state. Yeah. Right. But I mean, think about, they, they were driving with the ball to win the game against Ohio state too, with O'Corn playing the entire game at quarterback. It's you, you almost kind of wonder if they could have, they probably could have beaten Ohio state too. Uh, if a uh, healthy and seasoned, Spate with a you know with a new offensive line, new new basically everybody for him. Um, you well, know having, they would have that's a that's a difference. Like we talked all preseason about having Spate be you know being the guy that leads the offense. That his veteran leadership is the one that helps make the offense cohesive where otherwise it wouldn't. And we didn't get to see it because he was out. You know, after a couple of series in Game Four. Yeah, wasn't he like our number one or number two most important player for 2017? So I guess I yeah, I guess that is kind of a big impact to 
not have him for literally all of your important games. Yeah, I mean, there was there were the struggles, but he would have been, and I say this after, we did get to see quite a bit of Peters. I, it's just hard not to say that Wilton wouldn't have, been, have eventually, you get into the heart of conference season, that he would have been the best guy uh, to play. And again, that doesn't mean that, I'm not nearly as down on Brandon Peters as a lot of people seem to be after this game. Um, again, I think it was a discouraging performance for sure. And I know personally, based on the way he had looked, uh, I thought he looked pretty solid against Wisconsin. Uh, I know he had the turnover, you know, down the red zone, but uh, I thought he played pretty well for the most part on a tough road environment in a big game. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's hard to be underwhelmed there, but I, I'm not, you know, I still think the jury is pretty much out on what he can do. I still think he's got a lot of potential and will have his say in the quarterback race, regardless if Patterson is deemed immediately eligible or not. Right. But then, but then nobody's talking about Dylan McCaffrey. Like, what if, what if Patterson's not immediately eligible? Then I think all of a sudden, I think you have a legitimate chance that McCaffrey could be the guy next year. I mean, he, <laughs> we've heard nothing. Yeah, but that's a good thing, though. Like, oh, I know. We have, I know nothing but good things about McCaffrey. That's one guy that I think, you know, I don't want to say he gets for he gets like glossed over. Well, he's glossed over right now. Yeah, right. But I, I would warn those who are glossing to not gloss because I think I think he's got I think he has an opportunity to to compete just like the other two guys will or the other guy if Patterson has a city year so. Um, that's what I mean. I think the quarterback position is finally going to really get there next year, in my opinion. Yeah, we'll see. I, I, and this isn't to doubt you because you're right. The, the rumblings of McCaffrey have been less, oh, he can make so many throws. You know, he's really applied. He's really working hard. It's more like, whoa, he's like a real leader. He like just sees the game differently. So there is something to it, but like, you know, we heard good things about John O'Corn in when during his redshirt year. We heard good things about um, uh, I mean, all the names are escaping me. But you can go down the list, like basically every quarterback who's played and has struggled in the past few years. You know, there have been good things said about them in practice. I think it's, I think it, it'll be interesting. But I think until I see them in person, I would have a tough time. Uh, saying that anyone is, well, I guess you could say Patterson. Patterson is better than Peters, and Peters is, a, you know, isn't bad. I, I agree that he was kind of put in some tough spots against South Carolina, but uh, uh, yeah, we'll see. I to me, to me, the two biggest things that they need, obviously, tackle. That one goes without saying. The offensive line actually did fairly well against South Carolina on a, on a you know, PFF per snap basis uh, especially in Wenu and Ruiz Ruiz quietly had one of the best games an offensive lineman has had all year he allowed one right. one pressure in 52 pass blocking snaps and then his run blocking was miles ahead of what it was toward the end of the season and on Wenu uh the one of the top 12 graded out players for Michigan this season um which is I mean I know people people love to you know Say like, oh, and Wayne who can't do anything when he like gives up a sack, but overall he was really good and extremely good in run blocking. So 
I actually like that interior, um, but you know the tackles that will be probably to me question mark number one for next season because if they can get a tackle, if they can get uh, better execution on some of these plays where all the alignment have to move and actually have to to you know it's either you make the block or give up a four yard loss. Um, if they can start making more of those, I think Michigan's in better shape. And then receiver, I mean. That uh, Orion Sang of the Michigan Daily talked to Jamarcus King, South Carolina's cornerback, after the game, and he basically said the receivers run a choice route with two choices every single play. I mean, that is just, and I get that they're trying to simplify things, but that is just mind blowing that you have guys who are so talented, you know, and they're bigger, faster, stronger than just about any receiver South Carolina faced this year. Maybe Georgia and Clemson had. A say in that conversation but uh and and all they're doing and, and and the cornerbacks can predict it they can predict it after four weeks um i think that's that's either a sign that the group has to step up or that the group something something is not not working in that wide receiver room uh, a lot of drops 17 drops to three touchdown passes just not ever gonna get you to being a good team if you have that kind of ratio so that'd be number two. Uh, yeah, I think I think getting the 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 freshmen to make similar leaps to the sophomores th- that did this season, because you look at Klee Hudson, Devin Bush, Lavert Hill, David Long, um, you know even even Rashawn Gary, but also Chris Evans, Ben Bredesen. Uh, you know you can go down the list. There's a lot of guys who weren't doing a ton last season. Obviously, Evans and Bredesen are, are, and Gary are the exceptions, who all of a sudden came in and were all conference players and were, were starters and plus players for this team. And, uh, you know, Steve, I don't know where you stand, but I feel like the 2017 class is better than the 2016 class as far as depth, strength at the top, all this. And so if they can get similar returns, I'm looking at it, it looks like 13 players played, a lot of guys redshirted, and a lot of guys didn't play much. I mean that's that's the biggest step that Michigan can take right now. You know, people talk about coaching, people talk about the quarterback, people talk about you know such and such player. But if they can get guys, you know, Stuber, Filiaga, Hudson, or you know guys at the linebackers, they have three linebackers they're excited about safety. I mean this this team looks completely different just in week one alone. Uh, at least at least in my opinion. I don't know, Steve, you you've know the 2017 class more than I do. I mean, is that is that something that can be expected that these guys are are going to you know grow in year one, or do you think do you think a lot of guys are have kind of shown what they can do, or do you think it needs another year? I guess where do you stand with the 17 class? No, you're you're 100 percent right. Um, you already alluded to the leaps that many in the 2016 class took, right? I agree with you that the 17 class was better. So therefore I think a lot of those guys take huge leaps in year two. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't they? Um, I mean, I'm just, I pulled up the list just as you were talking about it. I mean, look at, I mean, Villain didn't even play. Right. And I know he was, I know he's a little banged up. I think at the end of the day, they just decided to be cautious there. Um, you know, he was the guy they expected to play immediately. Hmm. So you add him into the mix. I think Ambry Thomas is a guy that takes a massive leap next year. I mean, he was pretty good this year too. 
Uh, yeah, it's really, I mean, here we, here we are. It's really what the offensive line, how those guys progress. Like the three <laughs> guys we've talked about, and you know, I had mentioned they, in one of the insider pieces I did last week of those three guys you mentioned are three guys that are very important for the future of the program. Yeah. Uh, you know, between Filiaga, Hudson, and and uh, Stuber, who's a guy that I've you know always heard such great things about. You know, you got Ross. I think Josh Ross may end up being the best linebacker out of the three guys they signed. Hmm. Um, you know, you got other guys like, you know, they're the guys that the jury, well, Jameric Woods, he started. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't goal. an injury. Right. No, yeah. he, and I, you know, it wouldn't shock me if that stuck, uh, you know, heading into next year. I mean, we'll see, but he's, he has everything that, that Michigan wants at that safety spot. Um, Again, we haven't really seen him in one-on-one coverage yet, though. But six-three, a little bit longer. Uh, you know, Metellus just plays so aggressively. There are a couple times I'm just always surprised he gets away with like they don't call pass interference when he's in coverage. But um, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. But then, you know, even a guy like Oliver Martin, who in the spring, or no, was it the was it fall camp? He did. Yeah, it was fall camp. Yeah. Yeah, fall camp. Like we heard more things about him. Then maybe Collins or or not not the other two, but you know, as Martin was a guy that could play right away. So, um, yeah, I mean, you'll I think you'll see a bunch of Quiddy Pay who got tons of playing time. Uh, ben Mason, obviously. I mean, Ben Mason's going to be a a pretty important piece for the team just in general next year. So, uh, Benjamin St. Juiced. I mean, yeah, you go down the li- even well. Brad Hawkins played a lot too. I mean, I'm just going on the list. And I'm seeing like. A lot of these guys have had their, you know, Donovan Jeter was somebody that there was lots of good stuff coming out of camp before he got injured. So, um, no, I fully agree. I mean, they got a lot, a lot of these guys got a lot of seasoning. Uh, Ruiz, as I predicted, will likely be a four-year starter unless he leaves after three. Um, you know, obviously Aubrey Solomon, Peoples-Jones, who I don't think Donovan gets enough credit for the progression he made throughout the season. Again, it definitely go got better. He had 19 right, catches in the last eight games, like right, with three of the first five. So, and was the most targeted by far too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he had his struggles, but really uh, is a guy that, man, I mean, he should. There's no reason that he shouldn't take off big time next year. Um, and again, that's we expect better quarterback play too, which will make a difference. So, um, did you know yeah, Aubrey no. Solomon was the 10th highest graded player? Uh, for Michigan this year? That actually does not surprise me. Uh, He's based lethal on against the run, yeah. Right, right. I would do the, when I would do the break, when we finally got the PFF access, uh, his, it was fun to watch his snap count was growing every week. And that was one of my favorite things to do was to look at each player's snap count, especially on mm-hmm. defense. You know, offense that, for the most part, pretty set in the way who would play and how many how much they would play. Defense, you can kind of see a little bit some some more trends, especially up front in that second unit. You know, you look at the the uh, Lawrence Marshalls and the uh, Michael Dwumfors and the Aubrey Solomons and stuff. You could the fluctuation there, Monet. The fluctuation there was really really fun to watch. But with Solomon, you would steadily see his snap count was climbing throughout the second half of the year. And then yeah, by the end of the year, yeah, I mean that doesn't he you could see that he was making a tangible impact, you know? So for them to say, for, for Don Brown to say that Michael Dwumfor maybe improved more than any other player, um, 
not named. I think he mentioned the corners as being the two, but uh, the starting corners. But, you know, that bodes well then because Solomon really improved a lot throughout the season too. And it was mm-hmm. a little bit more tangible than Dwum for, in my opinion. So, Isaiah, this kind of turned into its own segment. So I guess I want to hear your thoughts because, you know, I know you're – you're pretty well sourced. You 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 heard about a lot of stuff throughout the entire season uh, about these freshmen, and obviously we we all know that every red shirt, every comment about a red shirt player probably does have to come with a grain of salt. I mean, you know, not to you know necessarily call anybody out, but you know we've heard about heard about Austin Davis and how he was a guy who was going to play for or should have played last season for Michigan. He was the best rebounder in the team. Uh, so far, it has not shown up in games. Still, plenty of games left. But but you get you get the idea that some of these redshirt guys, you know, they're pumped up to be pumped up. But I guess what have you heard? What have been some of the consistent players that are that are getting praise? Uh, I know Oliver, Oliver Martin's one of them, uh, and 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 even just freshmen that didn't play a ton, not necessarily redshirts, but of this 2017 class that you think. Uh, could be on a on a list of breakout candidates for next year. Um, well, I mean, you mentioned the one, obviously. I mean, Martin's obviously a a guy that should be should be pretty dang good. Um, and I'm curious to see, especially just having the, the year under his belt and, and everything, as far as that's concerned. The fact that he did get to sit out. I mean, a lot of what I look at is not necessarily the red shirts and some of the guys that got like minimal time that started to be able to play like Nico Collins, uh, guys like that really seem to make, you know, started to make some strides. Yeah. Collins played starter snaps against South Carolina. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like the guys that we didn't necessarily get to get to see a lot. Where I'm curious to see is I I think as far as the most important red shirts, it's going to be. The, the the guys that Steve mentioned, and Filiaga, Stuber, and James Hudson. And we've heard a ton of James Hudson about how he's really been able to come in and just make a huge impact as far as at the tackle position and playing at right tackle. Uh, that's obviously what they really are going to need. <laughs> is they're going to need a guy there. Uh, not sure that they have it in uh, you know unless Runyon or Ulysio, uh take a massive step forward. Uh, not really sure yet what uh, Bushel Beatty's status is, uh, considering everything. But uh, that's that's where I'm really excited to see something. But beyond them, uh, you know, we've heard a lot about Jordan Anthony uh, before. You know, coming in about how he was so versatile, but we knew he wasn't going to necessarily see the field for the sake of he was the kind of a man in search of position. And I, I don't know that that has necessarily been sussed out yet, but he's so athletic. And he's a guy that could do so much on the defensive side of the ball. And I, I've just heard that he's, he's really kind of taken in, but he's still kind of in search of one particular lockdown uh, place. And Don Brown also said, don't forget about Drew Singleton for that same, in that same light, considering that he came in not too far off of having an ACL injury. And he's, he's done a, a pretty good job of, you know, getting back on the field and making an impact. So, those would be the guys I'd, I'd really look at as being impact guys. I mean, Donovan Jeter is probably the one that that doesn't get mentioned enough because he would have he would have been. I, I would imagine that Jeter would have been off the bench about the same time that uh, Aubrey Solomon was, if uh, if he was healthy and was able to play. But the fact of the matter is, he wasn't. So 
I think you're going to see a lot of Donovan Jeter if he's healthy next year. Uh, you know, coming in in, uh, in the middle, he's really bulked up a ton since he first arrived on campus. He looks just notably bigger. Don Brown said he's 295. Uh, I'm not sure if that's an accurate reading or not, but you know, we had him at 250 when he committed, so wow. that's a huge difference. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. Again, I don't know how accurate John, if Don Brown was just spitballing there or not, but he's a player that I think could be a massive force this next year. Uh, he's, he would probably be my breakout candidate as far as that's concerned. Uh, and, and it's, you know, they're going to need guys, especially that's going to be a huge hole left by Bo Hurst. Yeah. Well, let's switch gears uh, to to coaching. And I know that there's a lot of rumors and rumblings uh, sorry in advance, we're probably not going to give you the scoop on the free podcast when we actually have subscribers who, uh, you know, pay for pay for live in you know up to the up to the minute updates. Uh, but definitely check it out if you aren't a subscriber. This is uh, this is a interesting time of year because there will be at least three more hires made if I if I have counted correctly because they need a safeties coach and they need. Someone to replace Greg Fry, who has gone to Florida State, and then they also have a tenth coach that will be available, I believe, Tuesday. Um, that they're going to be they're going to be hiring, and then obviously there have been rumors of other changes being made. The specifics uh, kind of vary depending on who you talk to, uh, but there have been various names, and so I'm curious with with you guys, not necessarily who to hire or who to fire because that's kind of a weird thing for actual reporters to do. Cause we do talk to these people and uh, certainly you don't, you don't know enough about what's going in the locker room to necessarily, or in the coach's room to, to say this or that, but broadly speaking, what sort of changes would you want to make? I think first and foremost, personally, I think there needs to be a receivers coach, the choice route being like the, that predictable is not not good enough for this talented of a group. Uh, so that would be my thing. Steve, we'll start with you. I guess what what sort of things are you looking for Michigan to do uh, with what we'll we'll assume is at least three new coaches and could be more. Um. The million-dollar question right now. Uh, I, I think – so I always kind of look at, like, recruiting. I think they need more aggressive – I could just posted this in the VIP chat, but, I mean, might as well talk about it. I think there needs to be a better balance between the aggressive recruiters on staff and the non-factors recruiting on staff. I think there's too wide of a gap, basically like half grinders, half, like, not grinders – so I think part of the situation, because recruiting is very important. Uh, we Did know that, that obviously. hurt them in this class, or is that more of a long-term thing? I think it's more of a long-term thing. Okay. I don't, you know, this class, like nobody, you know, nobody wants to accept that some of these three-star guys were like legitimate targets for Michigan. Uh, so be that as it may, it's not the truth. So um, it's stupid. Like, Schoonmaker, right? Gem and Green, like Christian Turner, like these guys are guys that they they offered and took like so early in the cycle, and then stayed with them and signed them. 
Like Christian Turner was like legit target for them. You look at their running back board. They never, they didn't pursue like anybody else or offer anybody new after they took Turner's commitment until they offered Hassan Haskins, you know? So anyway, tangent, but yeah. I think, I think recruiting, I think recruiting acumen is important. I think that's part of what they're aiming for too. I think the Al Washington, uh, I know it hasn't gone officially yet, but I know that, you know, we've discussed it. It's been reported on our site multiple times. Uh, I think the Al Washington hire is indicative of that. They, they want to become, they want more consistency and aggressiveness in the recruiting trail. Um, you know, the schematics thing is so hard because we're not in the film room. Like we don't know, maybe some of these guys developed, you know, these guys have been coaching football forever. You know, some of these guys may have developed more than we realized throughout the year. And that's kind of where it's like, it's hard to like, it's hard to go too strong on, you know, this unit didn't do their job, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's, it's, we can opine all day, but it's like, you know, you, I'm big on like making sure I like know what I'm talking about before I say something, which more people should do. And, uh, you know, so it's like, it's hard for like, it's hard for me to like sit here and say, this unit didn't perform well, this coach needs to go. Right. So I do think I would say this, I do think the, Provided it's the same, I don't think the questions have been asked like they were a couple of years ago, but I do think, I agree with those who say the way that Michigan calls their plays, I, I just, I don't know if it's the optimal route to go with the kind of combination, like, you know, the consensus, you know, right now it was between Drevno, Fish, and Harbaugh, and I'm assuming that Hamilton pretty much took the place of Fish, Um you know, I, I don't necessarily think that's an optimal setup. I think there just needs to be one person who calls the plays. That's uh, again, I don't even really know how detailed they got when they talk about how it worked, but it sounded like oh, it, was it was sort of... delectably vague. They yeah, right, because <laughs> it right, all right. it all goes through Harbaugh. That's basically what he said, right? And that's basically right. all he said. Like <laughs> that's not helping you know, anybody. Yeah, because there were some. I mean, that's one thing. I mean, there were definitely some questionable. I think I think there were some very questionable play calls against South Carolina. I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, I think I thought thought they were trying to find a spark, any way, shape, or form they could. Hence the what was it the fourth down where they like threw a bomb? Like just I, you know I don't know or going for it. I know it ended up working out for them somehow because well no I shouldn't say somehow it was because of what it always is. The defense did their job after they turned the ball over on fourth down there when they went for it, but. Um, you know, I, I I don't know. I think the play calling needs to be – maybe they need to revamp their system a bit. Um, you know, but I, 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 I just – I don't know. We're, we've been spending half of this podcast talking about how this all this young talent should take a huge step forward next year. Uh, it's primarily the same staff that got them to within a foot of the playoffs yeah. in 2016 – you know, it's just kind of one of those things where it's like, and and then they and then they they lost four of their five losses were either started by or featured the third best quarterback on the roster for most of the if for not if not all the heavy duration of the game. Um, again, not excuses. I get it, but it's still a fact. 
And yeah. uh, so it's just, it's, it's, I don't know. The more you talk about it, it's harder to, to maybe, you know, I know Drevno is kind of the guy that's gotten a lot of the, the, the slack, but like the interior of the offensive line has actually been pretty good. And Cesar Ruiz looks really good as a true freshman. And Michael Onwenu, as we've already talked about, looks really good. And I do know, you know, and actually there's somebody just asked this question on the chat. Like, what's the, I don't understand the hype about Ben Bredesen. Uh, they love him. Like to him, he, to them, he's a no doubter. Hmm. So, and that's what Drevno is responsible for is the interior line with, well, I won't, we'll see now with Fry out, out, you know, one foot out the door, but um, you know what I mean? So it's, yeah. it's, uh, I don't know. I think one, I think th- it's, oh, go yeah. ahead. Go, no, 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 go, go. Oh, yeah. Okay. I think one thing that, that, and I want to hear Isaiah's thoughts on this, but I think if I were to change one thing and maybe it's the same coaches, maybe it's not, but I think one thing I would like to see from the offense, in addition to uh, substantially better receiver play, is I don't I don't think Harbaugh's hyper conservative, cautious, never make a turn. Obviously, it backfired this year, but you know you know on those red zone plays when they're throwing like fades to the sidelines, it's like that's not the only way you can score. You know I I think. And I, I think that I don't think creativity is the right word because they do a lot of formations. They do have a lot of uh, plays designed to benefit from deception. But I think I think there needs to be more of an aggressiveness for this offense to to work. And I understand that at Stanford, you know, they they were fullbacks, tight ends, and winning seventeen thirteen. You know, they did that all the time. Uh, I just don't know if the Big Ten. You know, I think I think part of Stanford's success was that no one else in their conference had their size, and most of them were used to playing hyper fast offense and you know not caring about time of possession. And then here's Stanford just icing out the clock when you're trying to make a comeback. But I don't know if Michigan in the Big Ten. I don't know if that's the same uh, or if that's the most optimal approach. And and I I'd, I'd be curious to see if these new coaches come in with or even the same coaches, whatever it ends up being, uh, they come in and they're trying, trying to really maybe not pick up the pace, but pick up the the uh, intensity, less run out the clock, more score fifty points. Because even even in those good seasons that you mentioned, Steve, you know, 2015, 2016, they had a problem closing out games, and they had a problem with fourth quarter offense and even even third quarter offense that made a lot of those games closer and uh, sometimes it resulted in a different score uh but that's that would be my thing isaiah what are you looking at at least three new coaches possibly more uh what are some things that that you think michigan would benefit most from implementing with these new coaches well, first of all, I think we're all on board that, that Harbaugh needs to, needs to be absolutely gone. He's been terrible. Hot, yeah, the um, seat's on fire. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I I actually kind of wanted to touch on what you just mentioned about, you know, the time of possession and everything like that. Like, I mean, Michigan was putting up 40 points a game last year. So I think, like, it's it's not necessarily a, an, an issue of, of of necessarily getting away from 
some of the those things that they have been able to do. But I do think they should probably modernize to a degree. I know we've heard some kind of reports of uh, of them potentially, you know, looking at going with more of a pistol type formation with Shea Patterson. Wouldn't surprise me considering Harbaugh seemed to run a little bit more of a modern offense when he was in San Francisco with Colin Kaepernick uh, than he is running now. I think part of that is just personnel based though, uh, mostly. But I, you know, I think the loss of Greg Fry and potentially having Drevville go back to coaching the entire offensive line if he remains with the program, uh, or, you know, whether it's him or someone else. I think having one philosophy there would be the most beneficial. Uh, I think that that's probably, you know, we I've talked about that already. Just the idea of of having of having like we're, we're either a power team or we're a zone team. We don't we're not mixing philosophies. This is our identity. We we're going to stay with that identity. And you know, to that same light, I think that should be applied across the board. Um, if they, you know, if they are going to, you know, whether they bring, you know, keep Joe Hastings and promote him to wide receivers coach or bring in a different, uh, guy there on the offensive side of the ball, just making sure it all kind of aligns that they're not like, well, we have a guy that can, can teach this different style to kind of complement. I think they just basically need with a team that's continuing to grow one that's, you know, considering that it's still pretty young and it will be young at least for another year, that they that they have one philosophy that they stick behind, and then maybe once they have those pieces that they know are steadfast in what it's able to do, then they can kind of branch out. So as far as as far as actually like looking at what positions and everything, uh, I'm not I'm I'm not really as interested in doing that as much as just saying like let's simplify the philosophy. Uh, as far as saying this is what we are as a team, that way you can make the actual plays and what you're trying to do on the field maybe a bit more complex because you're not necessarily throwing the entirety of football, you know, playbook at some of these young guys. Yeah. If I have to hear, thank you for not saying too many cooks in the kitchen because if I, I've heard that like 30 times or seen it on comments on stories and stuff, I I think that's lazy but that is an interesting point though that you know a lack of identity really hurt Michigan's offense this year as did youth and injuries and you know maybe just guys not being good enough fast enough but I think you know you didn't know there wasn't anything for them to rally around and I think that that cost them uh uh, that's probably it do you guys have any predictions for for any any of these coaching hires or anyone anyone i don't know before we switch to basketball no okay (laughs) fair enough all right anyway basketball we're gonna close with basketball uh, because this is kind of that time of year with football leaving the forefront a little bit and i guess it never really goes away with a team like michigan but more of you are paying attention to basketball uh myself josh henschke josh newkirk we've been covering the tail off this basketball team. And it's kind of an intriguing team uh, in that it seems to be coming together pretty nicely for the Wolverines. I, I I don't think this is a, a bubble team. I think it's better than that. I think the potential is actually fairly high. And so we're going to run through, I'm going to do five things to know. And 
And this is the questions are kind of based around if you haven't followed the team that closely until today and and you you just listen to this podcast and you're very curious. Um, so first, how good is Michigan? And right now, I'd say they're probably a around like a seven seed. If you're wondering, which I know doesn't sound that high, but that that's right outside the top 25. Um, that's where they were at the end of the regular season last year. Kind of in that in that group, they were a seven seed last year, and so so that's where they're at. Uh, obviously, the next question is who is good. You know, Charles Matthews, 16, 17 points a game. Can't make free throws. Uh, definitely has some some lapses offensively here and there, but is also the team's best defender. He looks really good. Mo Wagner looked really good. Then he hurt his ankle, and something's been off since. And then uh, Steve's guy, Muhammad Ali Abdurrahman, is having having one heck of a breakout senior season. I think he's averaging like only like 11 points a game, but he's also averaging like three or four assists, three or four rebounds a game. Um, we'll talk about him in a second. And then that's that's it for as far as who's good. There are other players uh, in a second. And then uh, who else is good in, in the Big Ten? Michigan State, Purdue. And then Michigan's honestly right there. Steve, would you, would you say they're the third best team in the Big Ten right now? Yeah, I mean, I would say so based on – what we've like what we've actually seen absolutely i'd agree with that statement yeah but obviously in my opinion at least the gap between michigan state and purdue is really high and then this is a question steve i want to get your answer on this too expectations for this team because i mentioned they're kind of like at a seven seed right now i mentioned they're three kind of the players that are you know driving the bus for them but What's interesting about this team is that I think it it can get better, right? Like we've seen, you know, just this past week, they beat Iowa. They were winning by a bajillion. They ended up beating by seven on the road. But given that they haven't won there in regulation since 2008, uh, you can probably chalk that up as, as, a, as a good win for Michigan. But we saw Xavier Simpson looked looked very good and he's quickly quietly becoming a very good offensive player and shooter he's known mainly for his defense but that's coming along uh we saw who else did we see john teske is he was he frankly outplayed mo wagner in a, in a big 10 road game uh teske's second big 10 road game where he was really a contributor he actually outplayed him and he was three for three shooting i believe his defensive rebounding uh, Michigan's 10th nationally in defensive rebounding, which is that's like uncharted territory entirely for for the Wolverines, at least under Beeline. And then being 7-1, he could stop a lot of shots. And who is the third guy that I'm thinking of uh, that that really stepped up the other day? Um, Livers. Oh, Isaiah Livers. That's right. How could we forget him? Yeah. yeah. Um, no, but he looks really. I mean, he he's such a natural four. Like he he kind of looks a lot like DJ Wilson, but beefier, uh, perhaps a more natural rebounder in the sense that he'll go into crowded spaces and come down with the ball, whereas DJ Wilson was kind of just lengthy lengthy. I mean his 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 Twitter handle is lanky smooth, right? Like he's kind of a quiet guy with freakishly long arms, 
uh, that ended up things came together for him. But he might come in. So, Steve, first question, should they change the starting lineup moving forward after seeing Livers and, um, and man, the, all these names are escaping me, and Xavier Simpson and John Teske step up? Should the starting lineup change? And if not, does did, did, has these past couple games, and this I guess the six-game win streak, has it changed your expectation for Michigan this season? Uh, changing the starting lineup, I mean, what were the plus-minus numbers for Duncan Robinson compared to Livers against Iowa? I, I just I don't know how much longer of a leash we c- can give Duncan Robinson. Uh, yeah, the fouls and the lack of defense. And Beeline said it. I mean, he's out of position. You know, right? They need they need someone there, but they probably want it to be Livers in the long run. Was, yeah, but they that's what I think they have the guy. That's the thing. Like Livers has progressed. You think so he's there now? Rapidly. I mean, I think he's really close. I mean, there were a couple plays. One play I really think about that I that, that he made against Iowa that I loved, and nothing came of it because Simpson decided not to shoot the ball. Uh, was that second pass? Oh he made. yeah, Green <laughs> loved that pass too. Yeah, but that was it was. It was great. I mean, that was exactly what you want. So, I mean, he's just got that. I uh, didn't want to use like generic, intangible, like attribute phrase, but you know, he's kind of got that sixth sense on the court out there. I feel like, and and he knows what to do, when to do it. Uh, I think he's an excellent passer out of his position, and the fact that he's hitting from deep is very noteworthy. So, yeah. um, you know, I. I think, and I say this as somebody who, that now I was I was always been big on Rockman. I have a pretty I was a pretty big Duncan Robinson defender too. Um, I, I just I think it's I think it's time. I mean, here's the thing. There, yeah, because I'm with you that I think the expectations for this team have have slightly changed, and for the positive, just because I think there's way more progression for some of these young guys to go, and I think they're going to get it. Um, I just, I think it's time. I think it's definitely time to make that change. I think Robinson would be more comfortable as a offensive threat off of the bench, maybe play him when Teske's on the floor, um, you know, to kind of maybe take a little pressure off of him having to, to, you know, spend his life in the post defensively. Hmm. Uh, I just, you know what I mean? So, uh, so yeah, I would put, I think it's time to give livers a shot to begin the game and then yeah i mean i think the expectations have definitely changed i think if you're michigan right now if you're beeline man the program really looks like it's in a good spot just be, they're young they got a such a large they have such a great group of talent coming in next year um i think you know i, I again i i stand by this is what i'm going to say I don't know what they're going to do this Big Ten season. I do think they'll do enough to get in the tournament. I do think they're going to be a team that nobody wants to play in the tournament again, which is where they kind of usually are. It's just they're going to be a lot younger this year. And uh, I think that's about a best-case scenario right now. You kind of want to be one of those teams that nobody wants to play in March. Yeah. And I think, they're, I think their approach, I think they're getting there. Think about this. I mean, Wagner played terribly against Iowa and, and Robinson. And they were still in control of the game. And, and Wagner played bad both offensively and defensively. It wasn't just one side of the ball. He, he just struggled uh, against Tyler Cook and then struggled offensively too. Uh, and they were still in control of the game throughout. So Iowa is a plus terrible, though, this year. 
I know they're not good, but yeah. it's still a road a road victory in the Big Ten. Uh, what they had one in Iowa in what, fifteen years? <laughs> they had one in regulation not, in ten years, but yeah. <laughs> right, right. I know they're not good, but still, I mean, they're not. Uh, they were on a five or six game winning streak. So, uh, but yeah, I know they're a bottom half of the conference team this year, but still, though, road win for a younger team, you know, to begin the conference season. I know they blew the one against Ohio State, but uh, yeah. No, I think expectations have absolutely changed. Yeah, I I would agree. As far as the question about the starting lineup, uh, I think I think I need to see Livers do it again because I remember we were courtside for the for their game against Detroit at Little Caesars Arena, and you can tell Beeline wants Livers to be good more than I mean, not that he plays favorites, but it's like it's like a personal motive for him to get Livers good and quickly. Uh, I still think passing is a little bit of a of an issue. Um, I think the turnovers, making the right decision, I mean, even like little things like on a when a guy goes up for for a post up layup, you know Isaiah Livers jumps and reaches his hand forward, automatic foul when he probably could have just kept his feet planted, put his hand straight over his head, and actually uh, forced the guy to do something. So little things like that are his next step. But I think I think if he can do it against Illinois. You probably do put him in the starting lineup and let Duncan come in off the bench at the three or the four, and then Simpson. Though I think I think it's time to 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 give Simpson the keys to this offense because you know it's it's a he's obviously never you know it's it's a long step before he compares to you know Trey Burke, Derek Walton, some of these other point guards that have come through. But I mean he's starting to have a little bit of that. He looks a little bit more like his high school tape. When he would score a ton of points, there'd be a, a shot that was like kind of controversial. It's like, oh, is he going to make that shot? But then he would just do it and gun it and just have this look on his face that was like, yeah, I just did it. Like he's having that kind of look to him lately. And I think so. To me, if I'm if I'm Beeline, I'm starting him until until Eli Brooks bounces back because I think he Eli Brooks did have a nice flow offensively. Uh, he was ne- he hasn't been a scorer really all season, but that was his edge over over Simpson earlier on. I think that is faded, uh, and I think he's probably your backup kind of. You probably want Simpson to play 25, 30 minutes a game now, and Eli Brooks to kind of fill in the gaps here and there. And I'm trying to eh, Teske, eh, just keep it keep it going the way it is. I mean, the odds are high that Mo Wagner might take another game or two, you know, the odds are high against, you know, Isaac Haas and Jaron Jackson, that they're going to need two centers uh, in these coming weeks. That's the final, the fifth thing was what's next. Uh, They'll play Illinois. They should win. And then they play Purdue, Michigan state, Maryland. If they, and Purdue at home and Maryland at home, if they can go two and one, I think you are looking at a legitimate top 25 team. If they go one and two, that's probably about what you would expect. If they go 0 and 3 or 3 and 0, you know you can read into those uh, as you wish. That's prob- that yeah, they'll they'll know. We'll know. You know if these expectations really are raised because I think that Texas win. I know they're missing their leading scorer, but quietly a very very promising performance. I don't think the past three Michigan teams would have won that game, especially with Mo Wagner going out with like five minutes to go or whatever. And then the comeback win against UCLA, uh, another another one that's going to look good at the end of the season. You know they were 
they were dead in the water, and they came back and actually made something out of that game. So uh, it's intriguing. I think I personally think that they're ahead of schedule. I think this is kind of what you would expect them to see, like end January, and so they can keep improving. Uh, Steve, I guess curious what you think that that their next step is. What what do you think they need to improve the most? Um, that's a good question. Obviously, they're far from flawless. Um, I guess the same thing that has the tendency to plague every Michigan team that I can remember is they really need to avoid those six, seven minute droughts that I don't know. Again, here's the thing. I watch some college basketball. I don't watch like a ton of it. That's not Michigan. I just know that Michigan has for years has gone through this, these under beeline, these situations where there'd be a five or six minute lull, whether it's like late in the first half or sometime in the second, where they just kind of pass the ball around the perimeter. Don't really, not a lot of like player movement. And then they end up chucking a bunch of junk up as the shot clock goes off. Mm -hmm. Um, It didn't really seem to happen against Iowa. Um, It did happen against Ohio state. Well, they had the two shot clock violations against Iowa. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. Yeah. Toward the end, but yeah. Right. But and I think that's where Charles Matthews is really important. Who, we, how, how have we not even brought him up yet? Um, I think that he's a guy that can be that slasher to get in the lane. I think Mar is Michigan's a different team when he's able to get in the lane as well. Um, that's why I think those two guys offensively are going to be the two most important players because you know we know that a beeline offense they love to shoot the three pointer. How do you make it easier for you guys to shoot three pointers? you get in the lane and you force the defense to collapse a little bit. So, and those two guys are the best acclimated to do so. So, and again, more, not more often than not, but at a good percentage when Michigan has open guys shooting threes, a lot of times they're going to hit them. So um, I think getting in the lane offensively, you know, and allowing your shooters a little bit of breathing room is going to become very pivotal you know, especially you go against like a Michigan State who looks just absolutely loaded right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. So to get in there, uh, force the defense to collapse a little bit, respect that. Sort of like running and passing the ball in football. You know, you got to do one to do the other. You know, get into the lane, create, you know, maybe score a couple baskets, you know, but then, you know, give your shooters a little bit of breathing room, give them some open space on the outside to take some some free and easy shots. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think getting the open shots is – is the key because this is currently one of Beeline's worst offenses on a good team that he's had. I mean, generally when he has a good team, it's because they shoot the lights out of the building and they, they just make, you know, and they just dominate and transition. And it's like, you know, if you, unless, unless the opposing team is just bulldozing in the paint and getting a lot of buckets, uh, you know, beelines team will always be in it that's that's the one thing where i think they that's probably their next step is figure out who your who your transition three-point shooters are who your guys late in the shot clock need to be um who's your who's your you know real go-to bucket getter i thought muhammad did a nice job of that in the second half on tuesday but that would be that would be the next step 
Anyway, you can check them out on Saturday. If you are listening to this on Saturday, then you can check them out. Well, you already did. Uh, but they also play against Purdue on Tuesday. Uh, we're going to have tons of coverage there. That and, that and kind of the football building up to 2018 and the recruiting and the coaching search, including one story that I guess Dan Enos, Bruce Feldman, is reporting. Things that we have, we have posted, uh, but he has confirmed that Dan Enos former Arkansas offensive coordinator coming to Michigan in some capacity. Uh, we'll have more on that literally probably by the time you listen to this. Um, but anyway, we got to get to it. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. For Isaiah Hole and Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. Check out all of our stories at michiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com, so on and so on. You know uh, where to find us. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>